You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm having a really good time already. Anybody else? (laughs) So I have a story to tell you. And it starts in the block, on the block where I grew up. There was a lady who lived on the corner who was absolutely legendary. Now, she was legendary because she had the biggest yard of anybody on the whole block. And it was bright green and perfectly manicured and always exactly the right length all the time. Even when everybody else in the neighborhood had these crispy brown, yellow lawns that you know would hurt if you actually put your foot on them. Not her. Beautiful, expanse of green lawn that was big enough that if you wanted to, you could play a whole game of kickball there out in front of her yard and never even worry about the ball going through her front window. It was huge. And she had all these flowers around, and there was this big window right in the front. And if you looked at the window, you could see that Either she was always sitting there, or there was always this empty chair, just pulled right up to the glass, waiting for her to sit in it, and to keep track of the goings-on of everyone and everything in our neighborhood. Now, if you were new to Riverside Circle, you could easily make a mistake. You could think that that lawn was actually inviting. (laughs) You could think, well, this would make perfect sense to cut through here on my way to the neighbors, or oh, it is the better place to play. It is safer than the street. No, no, no. Because the rumor was, and we knew this was true. It wasn't just a rumor. I'm sure of it. The rumor was that underneath that perfect expanse, that grass carpet, there was a motion-sensitive alarm system (laughs) that would sound in her house if a ball went on that grass or if, God forbid, you put your foot on it. In any way, the alarm would go off in her house, and she would come running, ready to get you. And I'll tell you, we knew this was true. We knew it was true because we could see her in there sometimes with her forehead pressed up against the glass and her eyes peeled watching us. And if you dared to look a little closer, you could see the BB gun that laid across her thighs. We had seen her get a squirrel once. And we knew because every season somebody would invariably kick a ball up onto the lawn or lose a frisbee there. And we'd have these long strategy sessions about how to create a diversion and who was the fastest kid who was going to run out and get that item that had been lost. And every time somebody did, even if the car wasn't there, even if there was no one in the window, she would be there as soon as you put a foot on that grass yelling at you to get out of there. So... I tell you this because the neighbors where I grew up weren't always the nicest, but it was still a really amazing place to grow up. And this was true because there was a secret spot. So if you were like me, and if you traveled back behind the houses and through the squishy, swampy part of the land where after it rained, if you walked back there, the swampiness would try and steal your shoes as you were going... If you kept going through the tall grass and past the skunkweed and you spied the cattails, if you went that way, you would find a path that my feet had made that went all the way down to the river 
where things were totally different. Because there at the river, there were these sandy shores that I could squish my toes into. There was the river itself. There was the sky up above full of clouds that I swear were animals telling stories to me. And there was this tall rock that I could go to. And I would climb up on that rock and some days I would lay on my back and I would fill up from the warmth of the rock and I would watch the animals and I would hear and tell the stories. And then other days I would go belly down on the rock and I'd scooch all the way to the edge and I would just precariously perch my head over so I could see the place where the water got deeper right under the rock where the minnows would swim and swarm down there. I loved it back there. And on the days when the neighbors were particularly pokey or my friends weren't really acting like friends or there was some new drama in my house, I would make my way out past that tall grass and find that pathway and I would go down to the bank of the river and I would take off my shoes and my socks and I'd squish my toes in the sand and then I would walk out right into the river, clothes and all. I'd go in and I'd feel the cold water on my toes and on my calves. I'd feel it go up behind my knees and up over my belly and into my armpits. And I would stand in the center of the river and I would close my eyes and I would feel the way that the water washed around me and over me and I would know myself part of something so much bigger than just me, something that was sure and reliable even though it changed all the time. I loved going out to that river. And I would stand there whenever I needed it, just knowing there was something bigger out there for me, that there were the elements of the universe that are there for me and that are there for all of us, all of you as well. Elements of air and water and sunshine and rock and fish all around us that are reliable and sure even as they are changing. So I don't live by this river anymore, but I still go visit it all the time. I go visit it in my mind When I fill up the bathtub at my house and I tip my head back and I remember what it felt like to put my toes in the sand and I remember it when I lay down at night and I am trying to fall asleep and I remember what it smelled like and what it felt like and how the water moved all around me. So I know that this river might not be your place, but my guess is that you too have places out there in real life or in your memory or in your creative imagination, places of peace and sanctuary where you feel whole and holy and healing all the time. I hope you can go there. I hope you can remember, just like I try to, that the rivers of love are out there waiting for us to wade on in. May it be so for you, for me, for all of us. Amen. You didn't know this sanctuary was an ocean, did you? (laughs) You look around, you see pews, wooden pews, and this sort of old yellow-orange carpet and this high ceiling and a balcony and a pulpit. But take a sniff. Don't you smell the salty sea air? Do you feel the mist of the ocean? Do you hear the seagulls flying overhead, crying overhead? Whoa, look out. I heard them. I heard, look out for seagull droppings. You thought this was a sanctuary, but it's really an ocean. Listen, and you'll hear the gentle lapping of the waves. And isn't it true that somehow the river that is your life has meandered, has bubbled, has flowed, has rushed and gurgled and tumbled into this place, into this ocean of care and support and challenge? 
I've been thinking a lot about the ocean and oceans uh, ever since the end of July when our nine-year-old son and I, on a spur of the moment, got some inner tubes out of the garage and pumped them up. That took a long time and hopped on Minnehaha Creek and just started floating down the creek. I'm curious, how many of you have done that before, like kayaked or canoed or tubed down there? Yeah, so you know, like when you're down on the water, it's pretty magical and a little bit disorienting. You're kind of like, well, wait, what road is that? Like, what bridge did we just go by? Where, where are we? And you see like, you know, the feet of joggers going by and bikers and like cars and you have a sense of where you are. I mean, you know, uh, ultimately like what's going on, but it's a really unique experience down there. And we knew, as you know, when you're on the creek, like if we kept going far enough, we'd get to Minnehaha Falls and just go over the falls. Um, that was not something we planned to do, but we knew we could if we kept going further down, kind of extreme style. We'll get some cameras on our foreheads and stuff. We weren't going to do that. And then if we kept going, we'd ultimately, and if the warranty on our inner tube held up, we'd actually make it all the way down the Mississippi River into the Gulf of Mexico in the ocean. That was the path that we were on. And as we floated down the river, we were grabbing sticks from the side of the creek and branches that were hanging overhead, sticks and branches, and, and we'd throw them in the water ahead of us, kind of wondering, man, is that the one that's going to make it all the way down to the ocean? Is it going to be that one that, that's going to make it? And then after a moment or two, they'd get tangled in some other sticks or a tree that had fallen in the water or a grate on the side of the creek, and they'd just get stuck. We'd try to free them. Sometimes we'd grab them and pull them free, but they would just get stuck again. And we just reflected. We looked at one another. It's like, we said, it, is a, it takes a lot of work to get to the ocean. There's lots of things that can snag you. There's lots of things that can trap you and grab you and pull at you and pull you off course. Now remember, you're not in a sanctuary this morning. You're in a spiritual ocean, a place where we can lie back. When we are at our best, we can lie back and hold one another in those everlasting arms of love. We don't always do it perfectly, but that is what we aspire to do in this ocean. This place where we come together, where we find strength and comfort and challenge. This is the place where we hold others and are held as we grow our spirits, as we humbly work for justice in this world. And we do that in these volatile, turbulent, unsettling times. This is a spiritual ocean and it takes work to get here as well. Maybe you know some of the snags. I'll name just a few. Maybe you know some of these snags and you know them in your own life. They might go like this. You know, I don't think I really need church this Sunday. Or I don't really need it next Sunday either. I don't really know anybody there and it's hard to meet people. So I'm just, I'm not going to go. I really wanted my children in the 930 or the 1115 religious education class, but it's full, so we're just not going to go right now. And I want to tell you, we're aware that our classrooms are full, and if you heard the announcement earlier, we're working on some exciting possibilities to expand our space in partnership with the Jewish community, Shertikva. Or maybe this is one of the snags. I'm really struggling. I'm really down. I'm depressed. I don't have my life together. I can't, I can't go to church like this. And I want to say to you here in this faith community, we don't believe in the devil, but that's the devil talking to you. That's the devil talking to you. When you, hear, when you hear that as the resistance of I'm needing people, I'm feeling alone and isolated, I'm struggling, and you hear a voice say, well, don't go be in community. Don't risk sharing that struggle with others. Don't bother letting people know what's really going on. That's the voice of the devil talking to you. We don't believe in the devil, but that's the voice 
of the devil. There are so many hooks and snags that can prevent us from coming into this ocean. But you're here. All of you, your children, your families, you made it out of bed, you found a parking place, you walked in, you biked in, you somehow mustered up the strength and the courage and the habit to come into this place. And I think, amen, amen. And I think that's because deep down, though it doesn't happen every single time, but it happens enough for those of you who are here in these pews, we know that when we come together, when we come together to sing and to pray and to sit in silence, we remember who we are. We remember who we are meant to be in this world. We remember that we're here to grow our spirits and to do justice work with one another, and we experience a sense of calm and purpose of belonging to the spirit of life when we gather here together, belonging to that spirit of life, not just going through the motions of life, through the motions of living. We're here because during the week, and this week is a perfect example of this, we are unsettled and disrupted. We get out of sorts, we get anxious, we get worried, we get concerned, we wonder, can I make any difference at all? In this world, I am just one person, one drop of water. What can I possibly do? And so we come together. We come together because this ocean helps us remember the spiritual wisdom and truths that we too often forget. And a really quick example of what I mean by this. I've been listening to our summer preachers, the sermons we heard this summer on the podcast. And Lauren Wyeth, our director of Children, Family, and Youth Ministries, shared a great sermon in partnership with um, one of our youth, Ray Ray. And Lauren shared this quote from Lillian Katz, this early childhood educator, and it was something I needed to remember, something I needed to hear. Lillian Katz says this, each of us must come to care about everyone else's children. We must recognize that the well-being of our own children is intimately tied and linked to the welfare of all other children. After all, when one of our children needs life-saving surgery, someone else's child will perform it. When one of our children is harmed by violence, someone else's child will be responsible for that violence. The good life for our own children can only be secured if it is also secured for all other children. So I had the earbuds in and I heard Lauren preaching and I heard this quote, this spiritual wisdom, this reminder, this thing I could not forget from Lillian Katz. And I have to tell you, friends, I, I believe, like, I'm grounded in this idea of the deep interdependence of this world, of this life, that we are connected and interdependent with one another. But the truth is, I believe that in sometimes abstract ways. I say it. I know that we're all connected to one another, but I say it and don't feel it in my body or even act on it in my life. And that sermon and that quote, it left me with the raw spiritual truth of interdependence. And the truth that my children are not okay, even if they get a clean bill of health from the doctor, my children are not okay when other children are hungry or hurting or abused. My family is not okay when other families are being separated or detained or deported. The good life is not really the good life unless it's a life we all share in together. And so what I'm telling you is that this ocean, this community, reminds me of those spiritual truths and wisdoms I must not forget. So here we are, balcony, balcony congregation, 
congregation down here, choir, here we are, all of us, at the beginning of another church year, each of us like a drop of water. Each of us in a very real way, only knowing the true purpose and meaning of our lives when we come together in this larger body, when we find ourselves in this ocean, reminded of those things we mustn't forget, reminded we are part of something larger than ourselves. As the poet John O'Donohue writes, may we live like a river flows, carried by the surprise of its own unfolding. And so each and every week as we parent, as we accompany our aging parents, as we learn to live with mental illness, as we struggle with recovery or addiction, as we acknowledge our mortality and reclaim this brief blink of life that is ours in this moment, each week we unfold in surprising new ways. As we journey again and again to this place, as new currents join us here, as we seek to avoid the snags and the hooks that would prevent us from coming to this life-giving water. And so we gather right now, right here, one shared breath, not in a sanctuary, not in an ordinary sanctuary, but an ocean an ocean of care and compassion and challenge, an ocean that holds us with the arms of everlasting love. May it be so, and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text FIRSTUNIV, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.